So today I want to talk about whatever gives you hope, focus on it. It sounds simple and or simplistic, but I think if you really think this through, in light of this week's events, um, I don't know about some of you, but we've been sucked into media frenzy. Uh, watching the news, uh, the horrific scenes in grocery stores of people just hoarding piles and piles of and get, uh, toilet paper. Like, really? Like, really, really? I, and all the jokes that come out of that, oh my goodness, like, you almost have to PG them. They're, it's like terrible. Um, how about food that's suddenly gone? All the spaghetti sauce, gone. Why? How many people eat that much? I've never seen the shelves empty on a normal week. It's usually overfull and stock persons putting a few in. So what is that frenzy that causes us to go into the mob thing? I, I will admit, I was tempted and I looked for toilet paper. <laughs> I did, okay? And I, I, but I had a reason. I, had to, I delivered some to my daughter because they were totally out. And she works at Azares and they had none at, at the store she works at. So I thought... I found some, so I bought an extra. So I'll be selling it on Amazon. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but I, I, I realized that I got caught a little bit because somebody was once asked coming out of a store, why did you buy that much? And their answer was very, very deep. I don't know. That's literally what they said. I'm not sure why. It's as if if I don't, because everybody else is, they know something I don't know, and I have to know. And what's worse, you'll never see this in Japan. This kind of a frenzy would not happen in a country like Japan, because Japan's culture is not self-centered like we are. It's other-centered. They make sure other people have their needs met first. They help the elderly get their things first. There's some lessons to learn here. I think if there was a, an apocalypse, we failed. Somebody said that this morning, so I'm stealing their words. We failed because we have gone into that frenzy. And uh, may we not do that? May we be other-centered instead of uh, self-centered in how we treat each other, how we rush to grab, get as much as we can. Like I've, I've been to enough church luncheons to know that some of the first pickers, they pile their plates really full. You know what I mean? You're not one of them, are you? I've done it many times because I sometimes I'm really first so nobody can see how much I really put on my plate um, just so I make sure I get what I want. But the older you get, you realize, oh, wait, parenting changes that. <laughs> parenting changes it because now you have to be other-centered. You're kid-centered. I want to read this um, thing. My, my wife gave this to me the other night, last night, and... She, was, she and I have had some animated discussions. Read into that. We didn't fight. We just had animated discussions. And part of it had to do with what's going on in the media. And I was getting tired and frustrated. Oh, like almost, she, she said, why are you being so short with me? I said, I'm sorry, you just finished talking about 10 minutes ago and you just started again. And before that was 20 minutes. Before that, like, you, you know, it, it was an honest, that really happened like that. And I was starting to get agitated. And we discovered that what had happened was I'd been processing this my way, she'd been processing it her way, but I was her sounding board. And I didn't know that. So when I found out she didn't want answers from me, she wanted to 
Speak with me. A conversation. And so a new code word is, I'm just having a conversation. <laughs> okay, I don't have to fix the problem then. No. And so we began to talk and realized the media has been feeding us with direction. We're hearing good news, bad news, fake news, you name it, news, U.S. news, Canada news, you name it. And all the input, we can't handle all the fast uh, new information that's coming out. And so she turned off Facebook. Oh, just stopped following the trails because she came across this. And she said, I'm going to stop looking at that for now because I realized I was getting caught in the spin cycle. And so she read this to me and said, this is where I want to be. This is where my spin cycle should be. This is from C.S. Lewis. Some of you may have heard of this or even seen it online. Um, it's, uh, what's it called? Living in, atom in an Atomic Age. This is by C.S. Lewis. I'm not expecting you to be able to read that. I'm just putting it there so I knew what slide I was on so I could read this to you. Unless you have really good eyes. But I want to read this to you. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. This is, again, way back from 1948. Okay? How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in the age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you, all, uh, you and all whom you love are already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. What a very encouraging way to write. <clears throat> Quite a high level percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint. I like that one. And a, dart, a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. C.S. Lewis, 1948. Yeah, but our situation's so different. No, it's not. It's exactly the same, just the circumstance or the, the labor, the title of it's different. Which made me think, well, what is it you're focusing on? And for Lori, there was time, and she was not alone, I was doing it too. Focusing on the fear, oh no, what do we do? 
In my role, I had to do a whole lot of extra looking because do we shut the church down? Do we stop? We, the meeting, all the churches had, had meetings. The pastors were emailing each other. What are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to do? I don't know. Are you going to close? I'm not going to close. I got more than 250. I have to close. I don't want to admit that I'm under 250. So if I say I stay open, then you'll know I'm small. Like, that's church pastors thinking. So the whole week's all this bantering back and forth. I'm a nursing home chaplain, so can I go in and, and do a chapel service? I found out I can, but I can't bring a team of three or more with me. You know, they're, they're eliminating all that. All these categories you had to think about. So it's easy to get sucked into the, the frenzy. Oh, and then I went to Costco the other day. What a stupid idea. I found a parking spot real easy, but I think it's because the other person did exactly what I did. I went in, saw the line, and you know how the tills are always full? But then there's this aisle that gets you to the back, back of the store, <laughs> filled with people lined up for the tills. And I went, uh-uh. <laughs> right back out, guy was coming in, do you want a cart? Yeah! Ha, sucker. So I went to my car, and I was out of there. That was the dumbest thing ever. And that was on Friday at 11.30. The frenzy got sucked into it. And then I started to think, ooh, what am I missing? Is there something else I need? What if, what if I am quarantined for 14 days? Listen, that's why you guys have freezers. That's why you have all your other stuff. You're fine. And somebody can bring something to you. But my brain wasn't thinking. My brain was thinking into the crowd. What's everybody else doing? Look, everybody's doing this. Ooh, everybody's filling up with gas. Ooh, cheap gas. You know, it's great. What are you thinking of? What are you focused on? So when Lori read this to me last night, yeah, we need to focus our hope where it needs to be on Jesus. So I want to take a look at this. Uh, I don't know how far we'll get today because I'm watching that clock carefully, so we're, I want to beat the Lutherans out today. <laughs> we got some competition now. <laughs> but we're going to totally beat all the Baptists to the restaurant, Swiss Chalet. That'll be easy because they start at 11. <laughs> anyway, just kidding. Whatever gives you hope, focus on. These are the things I want to cover today, and whatever I don't finish this week, I'll cover next week. But hope in a dark world. Um, there, it is a dark world when you listen to the news. The news is dark. It's reporting fear. It, it, uh, it's attracted to your fear molecules, if you want to call them that. There's no such thing. But the whole idea of it, there's an attraction to things that are fearsome, and we're alerted to it. Now, our bodies are in survival mode. We want to survive. But sometimes it doesn't get rational. So I think we need to find ways to avoid the things that distract. That includes the news. That includes less clicking on the stories. Newest update! More people are going to die! I saw that this morning, and I clicked on it. Like, what was I thinking? But somebody sent it to me. He said, you got to read this. And then I realized, no, that's more of the same stuff. It was fear. The click of fear. I'm not doing that. So avoid those things that can distract us. There is hope in this world. There are more good things going on than bad. There's more hope going on. There's more kindness going on. In fact, this crisis is doing a couple really amazing things. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I've been watching uh, some environmental news and some of the Nassau pictures of China that happened before the quarantines and all the industry went down. Suddenly China's almost like cleared up of all the smog. They can breathe. There's other parts of the country, they had a comparison of different countries of what is suddenly changing. Listen, that should be a lesson. 
This is a lesson for our own environment. Being careful for where we live. Let me do a bandwagon rabbit trail for just a millisecond. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I grew up in a church where they scared the hell right out of you. Okay? They, they filled you with fear that you're going to burn in hell first so that you're already afraid of the fire. Secondly, the end times are coming. Oh, no. This book was written. It says all these things are going to happen. Everybody goes, buys the book. The guy gets rich. That's not true. So he comes out with part two. Whoa, it's going to happen here. Like it's nuts, the crazy thinking that happens with end times fear. Where's the hope? Even the book of Revelation. What is the title of that book? It is called, it's not Revelation, so don't say that out loud because that would be embarrassing. Every Bible college student does it once. <laughs> and the teacher corrects them once. It's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the name of the book. It's good news. I think we need to look for it. If you look for bad news, you're going to find it because somebody's interpreted it that way. But I am doing a switch in a half a number of years. I want to find a hope-filled perspective on these texts, on these stories. And so in this culture, if your church grew up with that culture, here's what's going to happen. There's a great likelihood that you're not going to care about the world. You're going to say, oh, the world's coming to an end. Yay, bring it on. Let's speed it up. In fact, let's, let's hit a couple nukes if you're the right leader. Because in Christianity, you're bringing on the coming of Christ. It's just insane thinking. Now instead, what if we have the capacity, skills, and science to make the world better? Let's highlight those scientists that are starting to clean up the ocean cleaning up lakes and rivers. There was a young teenage boy, uh, two, I think two years ago, he did some science project that actually dissolves plastic in waste dumps. Like, that's just the beginning. And that's a high school kid. There is hope for things getting better. If you only look at all the bad news, that's all you're going to see, and that's all you're going to think about, that's all you're going to hear. You're going to have tunnel vision and tunnel hearing. Jesus came to bring good news. And here at Hope Fellowship, we want to give you hope. I want to take a look at the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that will inspire you to be more like Christ. Better, let me rephrase that. Not to be more like Christ. You already are like Christ. Now start to let his thinking infiltrate your mind so you begin to think like Christ and act the way he wants you. He wants to live through you. You're not called to live an independent life. We're called to union life, oneness life with Jesus. That's why we celebrate communion, to celebrate the oneness we have with Jesus. It's good news. Don't get caught up in all the hype. Be smart. Be wise. Listen to the professionals. God uses science. The Eastern Orthodox Church never divorced science in 2,000 years. The Catholic Church did. And other denominations, we come out of that Catholic church, right? You, do you know that your roots are Catholic? Just in case you didn't know. <laughs> I am not. Yes, you are. <laughs> so the Catholic basically means universal. Roman Catholic church joined and uh, married an Eastern mysticism. And dualism entered into the theology of the church where there's separation. The Orthodox church never saw that. 
We have much to learn. We don't have the edge in all truth. I am now learning more and more. I'm realizing, oh my goodness, the more I'm learning, shoot, the less I know. The less I'm certain of. I'm certain of Jesus. But some of these other topics, it's like, okay, I, I've only been spoon-fed this version for so long that you dare not question it. But what if a hope-filled perspective comes along that overlaps it and helps take out the stuff that was not hope and gives hope and gives a better picture? Does it make, look, make God look better and bigger? Yes. Ooh, I want that. Does it make you love others more? Yes. Good. Because that's what life's about. Not our doctrines. Not being right. I can now have conversations with people I disagree with and not have to worry about trying to convince them because otherwise every conversation, every relational conversation will have an ulterior motive. It'll be about being more right than them. Nobody here knows about that, right? Try being a pastor. It's like built into you. It's terrible. Avoid the things that distract. Go towards those things that are hope-filled. Hope from the light within. We need to focus on hope. How? I think next week I'll talk about more of some practical steps on how. But we have light within us. The light of Christ shines in you and in me. There is no darkness there. If you think there's darkness, it's an illusion in your mind. The light of Christ shines through. And there are many people who don't believe in Jesus that have the light of Christ shining through them. They just don't know. They can't see it. They're blind. So don't get mad at blind people for being blind. Love them. Be kind. Don't have an ulterior motive, but I have to build the kingdom of God. I have to convert them to say a prayer. No, you don't. That's not up to you anyway. That's the Holy Spirit's job to enlighten every person. Oh, wait. He already did. <laughs> that verse is later, which I, I can look at the clock and know I'm never going to get to it, but it's there. There's light in you. And I think we need to look inside, not outside per se. We need to recognize our oneness with Christ and ask Jesus, Jesus, will you open my eyes to see the things I need to focus on. It's like we sang with the song with Jesse there. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When you... <laughs> Stop it. You're messing me up now. I was on a roll. Ah. But when we do that focus, when we focus on his face, however we need to do that, and sometimes the face of Jesus looks like another human, like somebody you know. Sometimes the face of Jesus looks like somebody hurting, and we go and help them. Sometimes the face of Jesus looks like Scripture. Sometimes the Bible is not God. The Word of God is a capital W. His name's Jesus. And the Word of God shows himself many different facets of people. He shows it in kindness in the checkout line. It shows itself in you in kindness to the people serving you. Your waiter, your clerk in the grocery line who just got snapped at by the person in front. You get to be grace and love and kindness. But that's for you to hear God's voice in, each one of you separately. 
the light's in you. Start looking for the light in others. You may see some horrible action, horrible behaviors from people. I've seen some pretty nasty selfishness. Pause for a minute, because the scriptures say, don't look, after, look at mankind after their flesh or behavioral patterns. See them after who they really are. So even believers, but let's say unbelievers for a moment. If the light of Christ is shining in them, they don't see it. At least you look for it. Maybe you'll see a spark of hope, and you become that inspiration to slowly, gently be kindness to them. For believers who are not acting like, well, that's not very Christian of you when you act like that. Well, first of all, don't say that because that's like pretty judgmental. And that's a guilt trip, by the way, because my mom used it all the time. Jesus would not act like that. You need to act more like Jesus. You go to hell if you don't. She, she literally said that to me several times, like many times. That's why I know it. But look for light. If you're not looking for it, you're only going to see the behaviors. And you're going to get ticked from those horrible behaviors. And then you're getting angry at what? Flesh. Ego. Wait a minute. That's your ego getting mad. Two egos fighting? Never good. So why don't you recognize, look inside, see the oneness you have with Christ, contemplate, meditate on that, and see how that is to be spread and shone on others. Hope will correct your perspective. (laughs) When you don't have hope, all you see is the negativity, and it's a downward spiral. But if you look inside, and you begin to see hope, and you begin to see light in others, your perspective's going to change. You're going to realize that the person who's really ticked off in front of you with a shopping cart has just lost their spouse, and is trying to get home quickly because somebody's taking care of the kids, who's going through a horrible thing. You don't know what other people are going through but it looks terrible. How can you act like that? What a jerk. How about buy them a coffee? Turn the head-on anger with love. You don't know the stories of people that you're driving past, walking past. Uh, And this is a hard lesson to learn, especially for me, because I'm a responder. Respond quickly. (laughs) You know? My wife tends to not. She takes it in, and I want to have a discussion, but she won't. That ticks me off. I want to talk now. No, I'm not ready to. Ah! So, personality types. Does anyone here? No, don't put your hands up. <laughs> We've talked about it long enough, but those are real things, and each personality has a different way of dealing with it. So make sure you don't impose your personality on somebody else's problems and want to deal with it the same way you want to. You're going to change your perspective. You're going to move from self to other-centered. And what is the best word in the scriptures that talks about others-centeredness? What's the Greek word for other-centeredness? Agape. The Greek word for love. The Greeks have four words. Canadians and English culture, we have one. I love pizza and I love my wife. Like, how is that even the same? Okay? But the Greeks have a lot better understanding of this. They say agape, uh, the word, there's agape, phileo, storge, and eros. Eros is the word we get the word erotic from. Storge is a parental love. You love your kids, you deeply love your kids. You can't stand their behavior sometimes, but you love your kid. Okay? Then you have phileo, fish. Not really, but phileo. That's friendship love. 
That's like buddy, pal, good friends, really loving each other. And then there's agape. And that's what the word in 1 Corinthians is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not rude. That, that word is agape, and it means others-centered. God is love. God is agape. He is others-centered, never self-seeking. Oh, don't forget the one line. Love keeps no record of having been wronged. Just pause for a minute and let that sink in. If that's true, why are you begging God for more forgiveness when you are completely forgiven? Repent instead. Change your mind. Repentance means do a 180. Uh, this, is, this is not godly behavior. God, man, I'm doing a 180. I recognize that. That was inconsistent with who I am. I, I am a saint. And by the way, when you confess your sins, you say, Father, I confess I am forgiven. You don't beg for it. You confess what is already true. And when your mind starts to believe it, your whole behavior will follow. This is radical grace. Radical comes from the word radish, root, okay? The core foundation of grace. This is the whole journey. Slide number three. <laughs> I'm not going to finish. No, that's okay. I'll do this verse in two translations, then we'll pause. There's a whole bunch of great, great news coming. Ugh, I stayed up so late to get this done. Oh, well. Anyway. <laughs> so, Paul describes Jesus as our hope. This is a great way to end today. Jesus is our hope. In 1 Timothy 2, I'm going to read it from two different translations. The first one is uh, uh, the New Living Translation, and the second one will be the Passion Translation. And the Passion Translation is amazing. So let's, let's dig into this. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. It is Jesus who is your source for hope. You can't self-get hope. Okay? Some people try to get hope. They try to get all these things that they already have. It looks ridiculous. But they're trying. Because they truly believe they don't have it, so they're trying to get it. It comes from Christ who gives us hope. This letter is from Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. Did I just do that twice? I think I did. I am writing to Timothy, my true son of the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When we have hope, we have peace. Peace is the evidence of that hope settling in. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, what's God's will for my life for this? What should I do? Which decision should I make? As if I'm supposed to know. But they go to pastors thinking they're like this, they have an extra in with God, you know, that God may whisper, well, tell them to choose the red pill, you know? Like, no, that's not how it works. God's big enough to get your attention. And he, peace is one of the best answers I give people. If you have a peace about your decision, go for it. If you don't, don't. Yeah, but I might lose out on the opportunity. Exactly. That might be exactly the thing God's trying to tell you. Because we like to control. I like the Passion Translation better. It says, From Paul, an apostle in Christ Jesus, for it was Jesus himself, our living hope. See, hope is not a thing. It's a person. 
who sent me as a servant by the command of God, our life giver. Oh, he's also the source of your life. Right. That's pretty cool. Timothy, you are my true spiritual son in the faith. May abundant grace, mercy, and total well-being from God the Father and the Anointed One, our Lord Jesus, be yours. This word well-being in the Hebrew concept of peace includes health, prosperity, and peace of mind. Peace of mind. When I have hope that God's got this, and even if I'm not going to get spared from my circumstance, which many of us beg God to do, he may not spare you from your circumstance, but he'll never leave you. He'll never be absent from you. He'll walk with you. He'll carry you through this. He may use other people to help you. He might use you to help others. It's not about your circumstance. But peace will come. Peace of mind. Do you have peace of mind today? In this crisis, do you live from the peace of mind you do have? If you don't know you have it, look for it. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it. Each of you have the peace of Christ already. Let's learn to live from that and handle this circumstance of our world with greater wisdom, not fear-mongering, but wisdom that we've been given. So I, that's, I think that's it for today. This, yeah, it's, oh, lots of good news. Let's pray, and then we'll have our, our ushers come up and, and uh, 